like being as a gay man, like when I'm going to do like a vaginal exam or checking someone's cervix, um, I, being, I guess, audibly effeminate <laughs> uh, makes the makes the patient a little more comfortable as opposed to be, like being more masculine appearing or masculine presenting. You're listening to the stories we're proud to share, a podcast featuring discussions between individuals with personal connections to the LGBTQIA community. In this episode, Austin Santiago meets Vincent Law. Austin is a research associate in the Molecular Pathology Corps at City of Hope, a comprehensive cancer center near Los Angeles, California. Dr. Vincent Law is a doctor of medicine working in obstetrics and gynecology at Swedish Medical Center in Seattle, Washington. Keep listening as they learn more about each other and the roles they play as gay men in the healthcare system. Alrighty. Well, hello everyone. Uh, my name is Austin Santiago. I'm a research associate at City of Hope Medical Center. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, his. Um, and I am a first-generation Mexican-American graduate. Um, and I thoroughly enjoy food. <laughs> Hi, my name is Vincent Law. My pronouns are he, him, his. And I identify as a uh, second generation Vietnamese American. Um, some of my little hobbies, I enjoy eating, more so cooking, and I distastefully hate cleaning, which is why I have a wonderful boyfriend that does all of that. <laughs> That's my husband's job. <laughs> yeah, so thank you to everyone who's listening. Um, Austin and I are here to talk about our experiences as being LGBTQ plus professionals in both a healthcare and research setting. Tell me a little bit about your your upbringing, like where did you go to undergrad, grad school, and tell me about like what your involvements were during that time. So I grew up in Southern California, um, if you can call it a just regular traditional uh, Mexican family. Yeah. Um, and growing up, you could say that being the firstborn son and gay was not the best thing that you could be or do mm-hmm. or choose. Um, uh, Mexican machismo is a um, very interesting thing in how everybody chooses to treat you, especially as the, the eldest in your family. Um, and from there, I chose to go to a private Christian school because uh, my faith is very much so important to me. Um, but I would say that my flavor of Christianity doesn't very much so meld with the uh, quote-unquote mainstream. So being gay and a um, uh, environment that is very much so Christian uh, and the environment that is a specific university uh, was challenging. Definitely found your own tribe because there are, uh, uh, there's always us little weirdos <laughs> in the cracks and you find your own people and you find out who's safe and who's not. Uh, and that was definitely an interesting time reflecting on myself and what I want to be and who I am and uh, developing a little thicker skin for people who don't like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. We're not, not going to please anybody. So just like RuPaul says, they don't pay your bills. Don't pay them no mind. <laughs> uh, 
and so from there, uh, I graduated with my bachelor's in molecular biology. Uh, it's also pre-med, so um, I actually am applying to medical school this year. Uh, so, Dr. Law, I'm coming for you. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but in the mean in the meantime, uh, that just led me over here to uh, study Pope. Uh, a lot of my research interests lie in oncology, and so that's what led me over here. Uh, I'm very grateful to, that I ended up in this fantastic institution and can create some positive change while I'm here. Yeah. How about you, Vincent? What led um, you to becoming that OBGYN that we all need? Yeah. Um, so I think I feel like I have a relatively interesting introduction into Madison. And so during my undergrad, where actually that's how the coordinator, Dustin Domingo, and I met um, at UC Riverside, um, I started volunteering at a local hospital and one of the, I remember her very, very vividly where it was her first day after like a knee surgery or something. And she just was wailing and crying. And I remember like holding her hand and saying, it's going to be okay. Like, and even though it wasn't a gynecological surgery, I just felt from that second, um, a better connection with female patients than male patients. Um, even as a volunteer in the hospital. And, you know, surely enough, I rotated through the uh, labor and delivery floor, the postpartum floor, and that got me interested into the world of, well, specifically obstetrics at that time. Um, <clears throat> and then when I got accepted to medical school at UCR, UCLA, that's when I, my mom was diagnosed, formally diagnosed with stage three cervical cancer. And that kind of made it kind of like my fuel and my passion uh, to go not only into obstetrics and gynecology, but to further and go into um, gynecological oncology. I actually did some research um, in that field as well. Like in that field, it wasn't like basic science is very hard for me, <laughs> even though I graduated with a, a biochemistry major at UC Riverside. Um, and so, during residency, you know, I learned about taking care of women of all ages, anywhere from eight years old all the way to like 97, you know, and it's just awesome getting, being able to take care of, being able to witness like the, the birth of a beautiful, healthy baby. And so at this time decided to stay as um, a laborist, if you may, and manage labor at the hospital. <laughs> How do you, and as a, as a pivot to that, how do you see yourself um, as a queer man, as a gay man, um, in an area where you're serving a lot of women? Is it, are you serving mostly straight women or gender non-conforming uh, women or lesbian women? Um, do you see yourself as a, as a queer man, like being a hindrance or being more of a, or like a, a valuable asset? So, I mean, Interestingly enough, I think the OBGYN field um, has made this huge pendulum shift, like within the last 50 years from being very predominantly, you know, um, white, hetero, sec um, sexist, kind of like male predominance and shifting it over to more female focused um, field. However, like being as a gay man, like when I'm going to do like a vaginal exam or checking someone's cervix, um, I, being, I guess, 
audibly effeminate <laughs> uh, makes the makes the patient a little more comfortable as opposed to be, like being more masculine appearing or masculine presenting um, body. So the so it's just the help like kind of air of might be in a, a male body, but you're just as safe as any of the female physicians. Exactly. And then I try to <laughs> and I try to even amplify it up, like to make it super bubbly, to be like, I'm just there for your baby. And you know, like once we have the same goal in mind of healthy baby, healthy mom, or healthy mom, healthy baby, depending on which one needs more priority at the time. Um like they seem to share that same goal. And I feel like having that communication or that understanding or like, you know, not not a breakdown in communication, but a breakdown in medicine, like access to care um, and using words that are easily like like, uh, comprehensible by people, like that makes patients feel a little more welcome or feel a little more easy about the care that they're receiving at the hospital. Oh, definitely. I know that especially in the times that I've shadowed when Either the, either the attending physician or the PA or what have you. Yeah. And just using terms of like, just like, oh, septic or febrile. And then the patient's like, oh my God, what in the world is going on? Like, don't, don't talk like that. Just say fever or you have an infection in your blood. Like, just, just chill because then their blood pressure is going to go up and they're going to ask all these questions and throw yeah. out of proportion. No, I totally understand. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any language as far as like the intersection between obstetrics and gynecology um, and say like queer women and or like gender nonconforming people? Um, I've heard terms of throwing out the chest feeding rather than breastfeeding or like mm-hmm. women or child, child rearing people. Is that a conversation that you and your colleagues have or is that language that you use? Uh, just from your experience, do you mind sharing that? Yeah, so, um, I, oh, sorry, something that I could have noted earlier today was um, that I practice in Seattle um, at Swedish Medical Systems. Um, and generally, there's a lot of uh, liberal people here, which is very, like, fun and exciting. Um, a lot of our midwives are gender nonconforming or trans men, which is also... Um, a pleasure to work with uh, in terms of the vernacular that we use. Um, the electric medical system actually had, does a really good job like with pronouns, with, uh, with like gender. <clears throat> and also like a lot of patients, they can specify what terminologies that they like to use and providers will actually communicate like on the chart systems that we're not like using the wrong words basically for um, to tailor uh, the vernacular for the patient. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's fantastic. And we do similar thing over here at City of Hope with our SOGI data. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, there's definitely areas where uh, in the EMR of where they can fill it out and how they want to be addressed and things of that nature. Um, and I've had a couple of patients come up to me after the couple of the boosts that we've had outside um, Mm-hmm. the common area during pride month of how a lot of the clinical staff has never mistreated them, hasn't misgendered them, or if they said something innocently of not something being correct. They apologize and quickly about face and address the patient, how they want to be addressed. Um, Cause we're here, it's all about the patient and 
I'm happy that you said that. Um, and that's an issue that we do here too. So it's great. Yeah. Sometimes the staff might might have a question just among the staff, like, oh, like I don't understand why when when we learn the pronoun they, them, there, like as in an elementary school setting, it sounds plural. And it just, it feels weird, like a very cognitive dissonant kind of phrasing. And they're like, it, there's not two people, two or three people, like it, they, does, they or them does not make sense. To which, you know, it does if it's like gender relatively ambiguous or, or they just choose that as their pronoun because that's how the, our vernacular or how our cultural um, diction is shifting. And being able to, to educate our staff is, is, is a good opportunity, very non-hostile. It's always a great learning environment. Yeah, I, um, and you've totally correct me if I'm wrong. The conversation that I had with my coworker, because she had that exact same uh, scenario. She's like a stickler for grammar and connotation <laughs> and denotation, everything. She just loves language. She's literally learning Japanese and ASL uh, right now. But she was like, how does that make sense? And I'm like, well, even for me, because a couple of my friends are, or they want to be called by some some other pronouns uh at least for they i kind of think it as like in simplistic terms i think of it as male and female characteristics in one person so then i'm referencing as they just of like that whole entity as addressing like those two things and that kind of helps me keep it straight in my mind uh so that's like the, the little piece of advice that i have for my friends that want to be an ally but they just don't get it because they're like uh i'm lost and i was like well maybe you can think about it this way um so, like, I want to try. I want to learn. It's just it's 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 hard because of the cultural or the the cultural dissonance that they have, and so or it's nice when, in, when in doubt, just use their name. <laughs> just use the name, even if you're saying it multiple times. At least if you use your name, you're never going to get it wrong. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or your Majesty, or yes, Queen, or hold yes. now. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Uh, follow-up question that I had for you was, again, as a queer man in medicine, has that, even going from your undergrad to medical school to residency, is that is that a characteristic of you that has helped or hindered you, uh, like I said, from class to your clinical rotations, you're like M3, M4, and then on to residency? Because uh, that's something that I'm kind of struggling with, too. Of how are they going to accept me when I go off to school? Because um, I'm kind of yeah. following trailing you on your footsteps yeah I, that's a really interesting question and i i feel growing up in like southern california and going to a southern california medical school like undergrad medical school it didn't seem to make that much of a, a big difference because of how big like the cultural melting pot is out in southern california um but with that being said uh like I went to UC Riverside, which is known like for number one in diversity in its undergrad population. Um, and then in being in, at UCLA for med school, me and a couple of other um, like LGBT medical students from like UCI, USC, we hosted a, an LGBTQ healthcare conference. Um, so I used my identity as like a, as like a, as a source of pride that I want to be able to provide for these patients that we can learn more about LGBTQ health. Um, and like, like what does insurance mean for like LGBTQ 
people um what is like transitioning for a transgender person mean and like what are the qualifications now or rec- like recommendations from the higher up peoples and so with that going forward into residency which is which i went to hawaii for university of hawaii for um you know everyone in hawaii is so nice they live by aloha <laughs> um i saw no difference and mainly being taken care taking care of women you know they're generally more receptive than being taken care of men i've had personally um i've had some negative experiences taking care of men during medical school but that's just because of how i i effeminately present and that's that's a little you know it's their belief system or their prejudice system and not reflective of my own talents as a medical provider the other the other experience that I've had not so much as how I'm presenting because I, I don't know from my own experience I don't know if I either swing one way or the other of how people perceive me of either masculine or feminine I guess maybe it's just probably um, my mood for that day <laughs> of, what, of what kind of energy that I'm going to give you yeah. uh, but no I totally understand that as it was actually a um, nursing staff that was talking about myself and my then boyfriend now husband um, in front of a patient and then the patient got all forms of like weirded out like didn't want me in the room what have you um, which is way different for me because I'm not providing any clinical uh, clinical services I'm just the volunteer I'm like basically the CNA at that point um, and so that's an entirely different thing but um, yeah that's definitely something that I've had in the back of my mind now, as far as patients, you answered that part, but what about your colleagues? Or if you've had friends that say haven't been in Southern California area, uh, they were possibly over in the Midwest. Uh, is that uh, something like a hardship that they had to deal with of how other people than non-liberal areas have treated yeah. them? I mean, from personal stories, yes, I, I can't pinpoint of any of them now, but there have been areas of difficulty where patients would refuse getting care from specifically like not only just because they're people of color but also because of them being lgbt like on separate occasions so you know that's might potentially be a limiting factor for their education as well um because you know we need to see disease during our medical training and that's just how it is How do you navigate between educating versus like actually functioning in your own job and also like care, like patient care as well? Like what is your, what are your faculties like in terms of, of patient care at this moment and time? So there's, there's no patient care at this moment other than uh, the previous uh, shadowing experience that I've had here at City of Hope. Uh, Cause I am thoroughly enthralled uh, with hematology oncology um and that might be a possible route that i might take um but as far as here it's a lot of sleepless nights and emails after hours or over my lunch to try and coordinate the lgbt group group here (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and uh maybe i don't want to take all the credit even though i put in the work and have guided it through there um i don't know i'm trying to get at 
I'm just trying to be humble. I'm not trying to book to my own horn. Uh, we have created basically the first acknowledgement of Pride Month here over at City of Hope, and that was pretty monumental. Oh, that's uh, awesome. The City of Hope is a cancer center. We're also a diabetes center, and we're also, we also study HIV here. So those big three. But, of course, most people know us as um, a leading cancer center. And it was just very important for, again, the type of people that come here and the families that they have here of, and the employees that work here and how the community views us. It was nice to, for the first time, and I believe it's our hundred and something year anniversary. Um, I'm a bad employee. I don't know exactly how old uh, City of Hope is. Um, Zen will probably kill me for uh, not knowing exactly how many years. Um, but we had the pride, the progressive pride flag uh, flying up in our rose garden. Uh, that's right over in the front entrance, the main entrance of City of Hope. Um, and I've received so many emails uh, from either community members, from employees saying like how proud they are. And they never thought they would see as either uh, clinical staff or research staff or even the physicians that they never thought they would see the pride flag at their own institution flying during Pride Month. Um, just a simple symbol as the flag. It was really nice to hear of how people are so grateful and right. employees getting together and be like, no, this is important. Like, let's show our support. Like, first and foremost, like it's fantastic. Um, uh, and our engagement online for that was uh, well received as well. So it was really nice. Um, and from that, we've created um, a lot of initiatives and a lot of inclusion and a lot of other um, voices between gay men, queer women, um, intersex. Um, and we most recently had a whole uh, uh, Zoom meeting. Uh, throughout the enterprise about pronouns and educating people about how to use them, when to use mm -hmm. them, how to use they, them, because sometimes that's confusing. Yes. Um, or even um, just having them in your email signature because you don't know who you're talking to. Somebody might just be a little bit more comfortable talking to you. If they see that, they're like, oh, okay. Um, they might not judge me or what have you. Um, I actually, in my email signature, I had he, him, his in rainbow colors. And it's so kind of, it's cool because and a couple emails that I received, people have copied and pasted out and put it in their own. Um, and it was really cool. They're like, how did you come up with this? And I was like, I have a lot of time at home because I obsess and it's not very healthy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing that I am very, very proud of is um, uh, on behalf of City of Hope, I reached out to the FDA and Red Cross they have partnered with us to be a community site um, along with the um, Red Cross uh, Donor Center over in Pasadena to bring the advanced study. It's all about restructuring the whole questionnaire system between uh, men who have sex with men as far as uh, blood donation. So I know up until last year, we were deferred from donating for a year. Um, and as of April, um, we were now deferred for three months. But now we're going off of cold hard science of recruiting people uh, we are recruiting people right now this very moment um, until we reach 2000 participants but the advanced study is aimed at using your own risk factors as a condition of you donating blood so um, making everything fair so if my um, my friend named billy had um, relations with three women for one night stands, but he can still go donate blood the next day. But I'm married to my husband and that's it, but I'm not allowed to donate blood. Um, yeah. 
now see those are varying risk factors you see like i would be fine to donate blood under this new study should we the data prove it because that's what we do in science mm -hmm. uh, or not and so make sure that the blood supply is safe for everyone um mm -hmm. whether of course they're looking at whether or not you're on prep and how that would uh factor into the blood and the half-life and this and that so they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff um but first and foremost it's making sure that um, it's fair and then why would you want to limit people if you find out that there actually doesn't need to be a ban on these types of people that are having um, either uh, safe activities and have a very low risk compared to just a regular um, heterosexual person. Mm -hmm. So um, we're in a critical shortage of blood and every uh, donation matters, especially yes. here at a major cancer research hospital. Um, we need those products. Uh, they're life-saving. And so uh, it's very important. So. Those are the two things that I'm, I'm super proud of, of bringing here and making a difference uh, here. So Vincent, how do you see, um, again, your presence as a queer individual in healthcare uh, as a beacon for your LGBTQ patients and healthcare workers? Do you see yourself living and moving through life as your authentic self, as something that uh, other people notice and something that maybe helps other people that you interact with on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, actually, I, I feel like my very, just stepping onto work, like I'm very loud <laughs> i'm very dramatic and i'm very i try to be as educational as possible whether it be in terms of gynecology obstetrics or simple like simple lgbt care um like having that representation like on labor and delivery like not 24 7 but like when i'm there um is really important because it shows like one we're we're here Obviously, we have a presence, and we we mean something not only to like our coworkers, and then we laugh with them, we cry with them. You know, when we're taking care of COVID, like COVID affected pregnant moms, um, and we're just always there to teach, and we're there to um, console. And for our patients, I feel like that's another winning point. There's a lot of you know in vitro fertilization for LGBT people. Um, and, you know, just had to, I think it just adds another layer of care to have an LGBT provider that's willing and attentive to their needs. Um, I'm, I happen, like a small little aside, I know a couple languages, American Sign Language, Cantonese, Vietnamese, and when you have a healthcare provider that kind of knows your language, you feel ultimately more comfortable than someone that, that you need a translator for or, or an interpreter for. Oh, 100%. And that's exactly something of that's near and dear to my heart of taking care of our Spanish speaking patients here at Red City Hope. Um, of course, me not directly for right now at this time, but um, that was one of the main reasons why I need to go. Need to, and we'll be going into medicine. So that's fantastic. There's something about that comfortability, whether it's the language, um, whether you know your provider is an absolutely fabulous queen or what have you. Um, it's just, you're already comfortable and you already have that sense of trust that you already need when you're bearing your all uh, to your OBGYN <laughs> or your other, uh, your other physicians. Um, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you, Vincent, so much for sharing that with us. Um, are there any takeaways or anything that uh, you realized about yourself or anything um, uh, about I shared from this conversation? Yeah, no, just being in with the programs that you're involved in, it just shows that how many other programs that I could potentially be involved in and can get involved and can push for here in Seattle, like just the, the blood transfusion or blood donation program, like that's something that's easily doable here as well, uh, potentially. And that's something that I can probably like talk to you more on the, on the aside about. <laughs> Call me, beat me if you need to reach me. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I just appreciate uh, going back to, sharing your intersectionality, whether that be the language where you come from or who you are. Um, I see a lot of that in myself and where I'm, where I am headed one day. Um, and so that's just really nice to hear a, a concrete piece of evidence of how you really do make a difference in your patient's lives. And you automatically foster uh, that type of security and trust um, in your uh, quite vulnerable uh, type of work. Um, and I appreciate that. And so, that's a, that's a talent and a trait that I hope to emulate. And so thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, it was a pleasure meeting you, Austin. <laughs> and thank you, Vincent, so much for sharing your story. Um, I had a pleasure talking to you. And who knows, we might talk again. So, <laughs> Obviously. And if you ever need, like, if you need help, either with recommendations or the pathway of how to, for medical school, let me know. Well, thank you. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> Like go up to Swedish for IVF and be like, come on, honey, we're going on a plane and get a baby. <laughs> I'll come down. I'll be in your labor room. <laughs> Thank you to Dr. Vincent Law for his work at Swedish Medical Center in Seattle and for offering insight to aspiring LGBTQIA plus medical professionals everywhere. Thank you to Austin Santiago for being an advocate for the community through research at City of Hope. You can learn more about City of Hope's commitment to research in blood donor eligibility for men who have sex with men by visiting advancedstudy.org. The Stories We're Proud to Share is produced by Dr. Dustin Domingo. If you enjoyed the show, please share, subscribe, rate, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Find new episodes on the first and third Wednesday of every month, and make sure to follow us on social media at Proud to Share Podcast. Now thank you all for listening to the stories we're proud to share.